0: Down the
1: right field line, pretty well hit, LeVarnway. is the right way here tonight.
0: Yogi Berra said it's 90% mental, the other half is physical. My name is Ryan LaVarnway, Major League catcher and Minor League grinder. And I've spent the last 15 years playing professional baseball while evolving my mindset. I'm fascinated by optimizing that 90%. In this show, I'll talk to elite athletes and mindset coaches about what makes them tick and how they've overcome obstacles in their own careers on the way to finding success. This is Finding the Way. Hey guys, welcome to Finding the Way. I am Ryan LaVarnway and today I am joined by Dan Grunfeld. He was an All-American at Stanford. He played professional basketball in the European leagues, the best leagues in the world, for eight years. And he is a very accomplished writer. He's been published more than 40 times, including Sports Illustrated, the Jerusalem Post, and NBC News, as well as coming out with a wonderful book, By the Grace of the Game, The Holocaust, A Baseball Legacy, and An Unprecedented American Dream. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Right. Great to be here with you. It's a basketball legacy when you write your version it'll be a baseball legacy. Oh, did
0: I did I misspeak and say baseball because oh, because of what's in my brain?
1: Exactly. I love it cuz it's so authentic <laughs> to you, right?
0: <laughs> uh yeah, basketball legacy. So so let's get into it. Your dad immigrated to the United States after his mom survived the Holocaust and and he came to the United States and you've talked about how important basketball was in your life. He he lived the American dream. He played in the NBA. He was an executive in the NBA for twenty plus years, forever, and and it changed the direction of the course of, of life for your family. Talk about what basketball has meant to your family and what it means to you.
1: Oh yeah, so both my dad's parents were Holocaust survivors. So my grandfather as well survived, and my grandmother, who by the way, my grandmother's still living. She'll turn ninety eight in wow. June. Wow, she's doing amazing, and she is the star of our family. She's the star of our book and uh, of the story, and. Yeah, my dad came to the United States at nine years old. He didn't speak a word of English. He spoke fluent Hungarian, Romanian, and Italian. Didn't speak English, had never touched a basketball, you know, came to New York City, and he had an older brother who my, what what my dad called his older brother in their native language, Hungarian, translates to English as my king. So that's how much my dad loved his older brother, and he was diagnosed with leukemia, and he passed away within a year. So at 17 years old as a young man. And so that was such a big tragedy. And, you know, my dad was... This immigrant kid in New York City lost his brother. Parents are Holocaust survivors. And so he went to the local playground, right, to make friends, learn English, heal from that loss. He started playing hoops. And, you know, the you, you mentioned kind of the, some of the success he had. He was a nine-year NBA player, All-American in high school, All-American in college, really became one of the most prominent Jewish athletes of all time, certainly, and a really prominent person in the world of basketball. And it was like the game that gave my family a future in America.
0: That's, that's incredible. And I try to express what sports can mean whenever I, whenever I'm playing internationally, it, it stands out so much more to me because I feel like I grew up, everyone I knew played sports in some variety with soccer, baseball, basketball, football, whatever it was. But sports, it means so much more than just being a hobby. And, and you, you said it, it changed the direction of the course of your family. And, and when I'm playing internationally to me, it, it's something that can build bridges and unite communities and, bring common ground to, to cultures that don't necessarily agree or, or politically get along. You have been had so much success writing and you're such a wordsmith. Can you can you express better than I can right now what the power of sports can be?
1: Yeah, listen, I'll do my best, but I think you, you said <laughs> it really well, right? Like sports, it's the great equalizer. And, and, you know, my sport is basketball. Your sport is baseball. But sports in general, right? like the balls that you play with. They don't care what color your skin is, what language you speak, what religion you are, what country you're from. It just brings people together. And you know, from your experience of baseball playing with people from all over the world, you know, and I've done that too with basketball, right? And I had teammates who we didn't speak the same language. We couldn't, we couldn't speak, but the the game brought us together and we became friends and we cooperated. And that's the great power of the game of basketball, you know, and a a part of my family story that connects to this my dad you know being this immigrant and losing his brother my grandparents surviving the holocaust once my family settled in the united states and my dad became this prominent basketball player he had a chance to try out for the united states olympic team he, be- wow. he had become a citizen and he made the olympic team so a dozen years after arriving in the united states as that little boy he won a gold medal for the united states of america right oh so, and sports sports did that and it brought it just brought my dad together with people. It brought my family together, and yeah, the the power of sports to build bridges, to heal wounds, it's immense. And that's why it's not just a saying that it's more than a game, right? The the games they really, truly are more than a game.
0: Yeah, and and you've talked about how meaningful going to Israel for the first time was for you, and I had the same experience where you've played you played professional basketball in Romania, in Germany, in Spain in Israel and you be, you got dual citizenship in Romania to play there. You got another citizenship in Israel in order, in order to play there. I have dual citizenship in Israel at this point. It's really helped shape my self-identity. It's, it's helped me learn who I am and who I want to be as a person. And it's just a game and it, and, but it's so much more than that. Isn't it crazy?
1: Yeah, it, it is. It, it's, it's, it's incredible. And I think You know, so my experience was I had never been to Israel until the Maccabea Games in 2009, right? And the Maccabea Games are kind of known as the the Jewish Olympics. And my sister, my older sister, she also had never been to Israel. And after a few days, we both looked at each other like, this is life-changing, right? For us being Jewish Americans whose grandparents survived the Holocaust, but then to go to Israel, to feel that connection with the Jewish homeland, to get in touch with kind of those roots, it was... An incredible experience and i had a year left on my contract in spain at that time but i remember telling my sister i'm going to finish my career here and that's what i did after my my contract in spain ended i went to israel is where i played and where i finished my career and it was just an incredible experience
0: and for anyone that hasn't been there uh, i am not a, a travel agent that's getting any sort of kickback but when i walked into the old yankee stadium it felt different it felt meaningful I've heard you talk about how when you walk into Madison square garden, it it feels significant. It's different. And, and the city version of that is Jerusalem. You, you, you get to the city of Jerusalem, you walk through one of the gates and it feels different. The air smells different. You can, you can feel the importance of being there.
1: 100%. I played for Hopwell Jerusalem. So I spent two years playing for the team in Jerusalem. You know, I write my book. My dad played for the New York Knicks and he wore number 18, right? Which is the most symbolic number in Judaism as the only player in NBA history whose parents survived the Holocaust for him to wear number 18 for the Knicks was really significant. Then for me, the grandson of Holocaust survivors to play for Jerusalem also really meant a lot. But yeah, we would go to the old city after games and have dinner. And to your point, you can feel it. You, you it's just, you know, it's the cradle of civilization, not just the Jewish religion, but all religions really Jerusalem is is the center. And so I think it it's true for Israel in general, when you're there, there's just something in the air, right? There's that culture, that history, you do, you, you feel it as soon as you step off a plane. So I'm also not a travel agent or getting any kickbacks, <laughs> but if I were, right, we, we could do well, because I always tell people go to Israel, the food's great, the nightlife's great, the culture's great, you, you can't go wrong.
0: Okay, well, so, so this is not a travel podcast, this is a mindset podcast where I, I like to peek behind the curtain of high performance. And mm-hmm. you were top 1% basketball players that's ever been born, Let's let's talk about your perspective. I I heard you talk about how when you're when you're a kid and your goal is to play in the NBA, if you look at that from from the perspective of a kid, it feels like the mountaintop is a million feet high. But you talk about how your dad, who was an immigrant, who was just playing to make friends, who was trying to to build bridges, he was always in the moment. So if yeah. your eyes are focused on that, that's a very different perspective and that's a very different approach to take towards going towards a goal that is it seems impossible or feels far away talk, talk me through what your perspective was what your dad's perspective was in your your experience and, and if someone in a, listening to this has a goal that seems far away what would you recommend
1: let me let me address that last part first right because every it's always brick by brick it's always step by step right and so Regardless and the goal should be a million miles high because that means it's 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 big enough, right? You yeah. should you should try to shoot for the stars and all those things, but you have to focus on the work now. That that's where that's where it all happens. And I think that that mindset, right, of just knowing that it's gonna take work today. It's gonna take positivity and and every single day you put one foot in front of the other, yeah, two, three, four, ten years later, you're gonna look up, you might be at the top of that mountain. You know, and as it related to me as I was I was born around the NBA basketball schedule. My birth was literally planned in between my dad's <laughs> games with the Knicks, right? So my dad had two road trips and my parents planned my my C-section delivery so he could go on one road trip, be there for my birth, go on another road trip, be there for my bris, which is the Jewish ritual of circumcision on the eighth day, right? So I was literally born around basketball. It's all I ever thought about doing was playing in the NBA like my dad and and I put pressure on myself because of that. You know and and it it drove me, it motivated me but it also held me back at times. And I think that in my dad's case, being this immigrant who just kind of found basketball and it was salvation for him, he didn't have any big expectations or he didn't put the pressure. He just was, he was present. He was joyful and easy and natural, right? And he, and it, it really blossomed, you know, sometimes when you squeeze onto something too tight, it slips out of your hands. You know, and I felt that in my career a little bit, that I wanted it so bad and that's a good thing, but. There's always a law of diminishing returns at some point. I think the trick is figuring out where that, how to strike that balance. Cause you want to be hungry. You want to be motivated, but you also want to be joyful and natural. Cause that's how you really perform your best.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think anybody that wants to do something truly great and be truly one of the best in the world at something, there's a level of obsession that has to be present. You have to be obsessed to be great. And 100%. I have a hundred percent. I have a, I have a quote from you that really really got to me and really spoke to my heart nothing is more powerful than the human heart on fire
1: yeah yeah i wrote that in the book i like that too um but but it's true and i i I know that because that's how i felt as a kid i was just your your words obsession and that's how i was it's like i would it's all i wanted and it's and i tell i talk to kids you know about my family story and about these themes i said listen set the biggest goals you can dream as big as you can but when you do that you just make a promise to yourself to outwork everyone else yeah. right so th- those things have to go hand in hand and i luckily had that example from my grandparents who came to the united states after what they went through and built a life from my dad you know who overcame so much adversity to become you know very prominent in sports and so i had that great example but that was always my approach man it was just like I want this so bad. It's so competitive and I remember growing up my dad saying to me, there's always someone working on their game. <laughs> you know, there's always and it's true, right? There's always someone working on their game and it's it's great to succeed in, in athletics or anything you want to do. It feels good and because it feels so good, there's so many people who want it. So it's competitive. So you you have to you have to want it want it worse.
0: Do you think you'll encourage your kids to to play sports or or do, or do they already do they love it?
1: my actually it's my oldest son's birthday tomorrow he'll be 4 years old and my youngest just turned 1 so they're they're very young i will i want them to do what they get joy out of and what they like as any parent you know you yeah. want to see your kids do things that they that they love i will encourage them to play sports to the extent that it's that their sports are what they want to do because i've seen what can come from being an athlete? And I'm not talking about championship rings or scholarships or newspaper articles or praise or anything like that. But those things are nice. And, you know, we like those things when they happen. But it's what I really take away. And, and we're in the same boat that we had long careers in, in our sports the communication skills, the dealing with adversity, overcoming obstacles, learning how to cooperate with people you like a lot and maybe you don't like as much, learning yeah. how to take direction and take criticism. There's so many things about being an athlete that are transferable life skills that you acquire and I just think it's such an amazing place to figure out how things work but also to figure out how you work. You know so yeah. for those reasons like to play a team sport I I'll, I'll definitely encourage my kids to do it if if it's what they want to do. I, I you can't force them of course. Yeah,
0: learning how to how to win, how to lose appropriately, how to share, how to be a part of something bigger than yourself.
1: Exactly. And, you know, when I said to you championships and scholarships in my head, it's like failure, missing the big shot, being criticized, being benched, like all those, all the things that I mentioned in the first bucket happened to me. But all the things in the second bucket happened to me, too. Yeah. And you could say the same thing, right? I'm sure you hit so many Grand Slam home runs, but you struck out in big moments like this is what sports this is what sports teaches us.
0: Yeah, I, I, I saw I retired a couple of weeks ago. Uh, at the time that we're recording this, at least. I don't know when it will be released, but somebody did the math on on at least the positives of my career. And I I had a lot of time in the minor leagues compared to the big leagues, but I hit 154 professional home runs, but I think I've struck out over 900 times. So (laughs) the the ratio of success to failure in the perspective of what makes a good baseball player is pretty awesome. But from the perspective of just one-to-one ratio, there's a lot more failure than there is success, especially in my game.
1: A hundred percent. And in your game, like you said, like if you one out of three times, you get a hit, you're in the hall of fame, right? So those are really low probabilities, but in basketball, it's the same story. And by the way, like for me, who I was a good player at Stanford, I had a good professional career. Sure. I failed a ton. I succeeded a ton. But even if you look at a LeBron James, who's one of the greatest players to ever touch the ball, he could say the same things about struggles he had, things he had to overcome, right? It it doesn't stop. The higher you get, of course, Jordan has that, michael jordan the famous quote i was just thinking of that yeah right like i i I succeed because i failed so many times i've I've
0: missed 960 shots i've missed 26 game winning shots something to that effect and i've made the game winning shots and i won the championships because of those failures
1: right yeah so even mj the greatest you know talks about that and that that's what sports does i mean it's it's just this amazing vehicle to again like learn about yourself learn about other people cooperate coordinate it's it's sports are beautiful.
0: So speaking of failure and overcoming failure to get to success, let's go back to your career at Stanford. Your sophomore year, your team was ranked number 1 in the country to start the year. You started 26 and 0. You had you had come out of college as a top 100 player and you you said that you were the worst player on the team your sophomore year. You were averaging 3 points per game, not getting a ton of minutes. And then yeah. you you worked all you worked 8 hours a day, 1000 a shots a day and were voted most improved player in the country in the junior year you were him talk yeah. about yeah talk about the 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 failure and the success journey there
1: yeah without a doubt so like you said my sophomore year we were great you know top team in the country and i was had a really good career in high school and i had a strong freshman year so there was some good momentum behind me but i just struggled my sophomore year i, I didn't and you know how it is as an athlete if you don't have confidence if you don't have belief And I was very much like that. I was just, you know, I couldn't get out of my own head. Couldn't get out of my own way. Had such a poor year. I actually missed a shot in the NCAA tournament. We were a number one seed. I missed a shot at the buzzer that would have tied the game in the second round. So we got upset. I missed the final shot, right? It was just like, it was such a difficult year. But to our prior conversations around being hungry, being motivated, wanting it, you know, this is what I wanted. And so I worked tirelessly that summer. I trained with a someone who has pretty extreme methods to train uh, and I, and I pushed myself and he pushed me and I came back from averaging three and a half points per game, my sophomore year. And I write this in my book. And I think it's true. There probably wasn't another team in the conference that would have taken me because I I was just, I just wouldn't, I just was played so poorly that year, my junior year, just six months later, right. When the season started, uh, I was, one of the best players in the country at my position. So I went from averaging three and a half points per game to averaging 18 points per game. Uh, you know, I was a first team all conference selection. My, my season unfortunately ended that year with a really bad knee injury and that was another thing I had to overcome. But it really just proved to me the power of hard work. I was the same player, I was the same person. And yes, I had a little bit more opportunity in my junior year but I just rolled my sleeves up and I didn't take no for an answer. I said, listen, I'm gonna come back hardened physically, mentally. I'm not gonna stop and you know it i I got to where i wanted to be
0: can we can we dive into that transformation and the mindset shift what what brought you from the self-proclaimed worst player on the team to 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 the guy the next year the the most improved player in the country
1: yeah well so i know i had ability right so maybe i performed as the worst player but i knew i had because we would have nba players come through stanford during the summer and i would compete with them i would hold my own and i said wow if i can if I have the ability to play with NBA players, yet I'm, I'm doing so poorly in the court, right? those things don't quite, don't quite vibe. So what I just really pushed myself to the limit physically and mentally. And my trainer, he, he told me, he said, listen, your mind will always give out before your body and I'm going to push you. And, and he did push me. And the one thing I had was I wouldn't quit, right? And It hurt. And there was pain but I didn't quit. Right. And so my stamina, my strength it all of my, my shooting ability. And I write in my book, when I came back to campus after the summer of working so hard, my fingers were swollen and I actually had to go see a doctor for my hand. And the doctor said, it's just overuse. Cause I had shot so many damn basketballs that my fingers were swollen. And I remember telling my trainer, like everyone's in trouble. Yeah. Cause I had to go to the doctor cause my fingers were swollen. That's how hard I, you know what I mean? So, and so not only physically, skill wise, had things improved, but more importantly, and I would actually argue much more importantly, I was just I just felt empowered when you know you've put the time in. You know this, you've been through yeah. it. You're an athlete. Like when you know you put the time in, like I just had the confidence. And so th- those things kind of they met, and I also had the opportunity. And you always need that. So those all those kind of things converged at the right time. And yeah, listen, I, I had 23 points, 11 rebounds my first game that season, and you know, within after five games, you know, I was averaging 20 points and nine boards or something like that. Those numbers came down a bit, but yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, that was fast, right? Like yeah. people the following the prior year were saying, I was trash. I was garbage. And now they're saying, Oh, he's going to be a first round pick of the NBA draft. So, wow. Maybe neither, you know, you're never as good as you, as they say, you are, you're never as bad as you say, as they say you are, but it just, it made me, you know, it just kind of proved to me the power of hard work.
0: It, it almost feels like it's a self fulfilling cycle right the the mind needs the body to be in shape and to go through the reps to have the belief and then you have the belief and you feel like you're a dangerous person like you you better stay out of the way because i'm coming there's a train on the
1: tracks a hundred percent i love how you phrase that like i'm a dangerous person that's how i felt because because i just knew what i the work that i put in and and you you to you know talking about obsession and motivation. And again, all things in moderation, right? I don't think either of us are advocating for having nothing else you care about, but to succeed at a very high level, it it becomes, you feel like that at a certain point in time. But yeah, if you care that much and you're willing to push yourself that hard, you're going to suffer a bit, right? If if, If you want it that hard, you have to suffer a little bit for it. And I really suffered in my workouts because they were so hard. You know, and people and I have other athletes around me. Some would join, and they would quit. You know, and I didn't quit, but I, but I, it, but there was pain associated with it. But it just became fuel because then I, like you said, I walked into practice like, man, I felt some pain for this, and now I'm going to make other people feel pain because of it, right? And that's kind of how sports works.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can I can relate to that so much. And, and another thing I can relate to you is is you say your junior year, everything was happening for you. You were projected to be a first round pick. It reminds me of 2011 for me. I was in AAA. I had 34 homers in AAA. I was batting like 296. I I was league player of the year. I was a big prospect. I was supposed to be the next Carlton Fisk. And I didn't let myself enjoy it necessarily. I didn't let myself celebrate. I, I, I felt like I had earned it and I, I enjoyed it in on the inside. I felt fulfilled and justified and like maybe ratified in the fact that I knew that I was this was my potential. This was how good I could be. But I look back at my first major league home run, right? The, the fulfillment of every dream I had had since I was five years old. And I remember suppressing a smile as I went around the bases. And I look at the video and I'm stone faced and everyone's freaking out. They're high fiving. It's it's a big, important game for the Boston Red Sox. And I couldn't even crack a smile. You, you say that it was the same for you
1: a hundred percent yeah that resonates so strongly with me and and i you know talking about my book and my family story and my career and people ask me like what would you do differently what'd you learn from the story what would you do differently and the what i say i could tell you in one word smile same thing i said i just want to smile more like it's good to be intense it's good to be driven it's good to be motivated and to your point i was the same way i got great satisfaction internally like I knew when I shut the lights off and got in bed, I was like, okay, you're doing it. Like, yeah, you, you know, slept you well at night. Great. You sleep well, like you feel so fulfilled, but I wouldn't let myself in have fun, enjoy yeah. it, be light about it. And honestly, I think I probably would have performed better had I been able to enjoy it more. My instincts yeah. were don't take your foot off the gas. Probably same as you when you're rounding the bases. Yep. You're like, hey man, you gotta keep going. You gotta keep pushing.
0: You hit another one.
1: Hit another one. Don't don't be complacent. But yep. there is also something about you have to enjoy the ride. You have to smell the roses a bit, right? I don't think someone who worked as hard as you did or as hard as I did, like you're not going to let it all go and lose it all, right? So like, I think there is a time you could take your foot off the gas for a second and, and smile and enjoy. I wish I would have done it more too.
0: Yeah, well, and luckily I played for 15 years and after after that moment where I, that's my specific moment where I look back at as man, I really should have let myself enjoy that. I got sent down, called up, sent down, called up a, a number of times and 8 years after that I had my debut with the Reds and I think they're somewhere in the vicinity of 16 to 18 send downs and call ups I learned to to let myself enjoy it and I even cried happy tears a few times that I was so overwhelmingly happy and and enjoying it because I didn't know that those opportunities would ever come again Did did you play you played long enough in your career did you get to a point where you could enjoy it in the moment
1: So what what you said it's so similar to my experience not as much as you did and and I regret that a bit you know toward the end of my career I had some injuries and it was it was tougher so it wasn't it wasn't the same as it had been prior which I think speaks to your point w- when you're in the moment you think it's going to last forever and you don't kind of have the perspective but like for me when I was the second leading scorer in the Pac-10 and we were you know, traveling as a team and we we're going through airports and the people who are doing security were like, Oh, Grunfeld, like, are you going to win the scoring title this year? And I was like, I oh, will see, you know, like you, <laughs> and you just, you're just, you don't realize that, no, that's pretty cool. And that's not going to be the case forever. Cause by the way, I tore my ACL a few months later. And then the next year, no one in the airport is asking me anything, which yeah. is cool. Like that's the way this thing, this thing works, but yeah, you don't really have the that perspective when you're when you're in it to know that this isn't gonna you have to hold on to this tight end and embrace it because it's fleeting and it is it always comes to an end right and so i i didn't there were times when i did a little bit but i wish i would have done more of it i wish i would have been able to say wow this is awesome (laughs) you know this is awesome and it's not gonna last forever and you should enjoy it uh
0: just there's one more quote that i have from you that really really spoke to me because i think i can relate to it so much you said we always compare ourselves to our own expectations of ourselves i always thought i could do a little bit more i always thought i could be a little bit better and i was always trying to wring the towel dry and just get a little bit more out of my talent god i can relate to that
1: yeah yeah it's it's the truth you know i write and i write it in the book but because I wanted to play at Stanford from the time I was in seventh grade, because my grandmother lives so close to campus and she came to every home game I played at Stanford because I ended up getting there. But that was a real dream of mine. And and as I write in the book for a slow Jewish kid from the suburbs, that was a long shot. It really was like I had no business thinking I could play at Stanford, but things happened for me and it all, it all worked out. But I write about when the coach at the time, Mike Montgomery, called me. In my hotel room at an AU tournament, he said, Danny, we want you, you know, you have your scholarship waiting for you. And I hung up the phone and I, and I, I just remember saying, what's next, you know, and in the book, as I phrase this, like the horizon, it almost shifts, right? You know, it just moves right away, you know? And, and I think it speaks to that point of just, you want more, you want bigger, you're always trying to, and we've, we've said it several times now, that's what makes it, that's what can make a great athlete that's yeah. what can make you succeed. But it but it's also what can hold you back, if not, you know, in moderation. That's yeah. what also can make you miserable at times, right? And so, yeah, I think that was kind of my, my balance. And I'm very honest about that in the book, right? I'm very honest just about the struggles that I went through when it came to, yeah, the expectations I put on myself and just wanting to be better and wanting more and in my case, my grandparents survived the Holocaust. My dad was this immigrant who became this big basketball star. I had my pressures that I put on myself for different reasons, but every athlete has a story, right? Yeah. That you, that you want it as bad as you want it for a reason. And we all have that. And so that's kind of this, that's the battle, you know, just trying to figure out what that right balance is to get the most out of yourself, but also to enjoy it
0: hundred percent. And, and the fact that we both had unimaginable success, great careers, a lot to be proud of, and we still both want a little bit more. And you i think everybody always still wants a little bit more
1: oh yeah without a doubt without a doubt i mean i i look back and say oh if i just could have this or if yep. i just could have that and now in my life right I'm, we're talking we're you have new new things you're tackling new goals and you know i have a book and i have a career and, and those things too you want more and yep. you have the benefit of age where you try to and you, you know you have a family which changes your perspective so you try to have a little bit balance but still the instincts are there my wife Tries to keep me honest often, you know, because she'll say, "Hey, you know, just want to call out like the things you write about and you say you you don't want to do anymore. Like you're still pushing pretty hard on those things." So, by the way, I think it's probably...
0: follow. By the way, follow your own advice. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right? yeah. Exactly. It, it's a lifelong journey.
0: So, so every every episode I do before I let someone go, I always ask them the same question, and and you've answered this once already. Of what is the best advice that you could give either to a young version of yourself? Or, or to someone out there listening that has big dreams? And you've already said once, build it brick by brick, be in the moment. Is is there anything else that you would say to someone that's striving to accomplish something great?
1: I'll share the advice that my dad always gave me as a kid. And I think it's the best advice I've gotten because it's so simple. There's nothing, you know, nothing you've never heard before. But my dad and given my dad's background and, and his parents, because he got it from his dad, right, who survived the yeah. Holocaust, who... My dad just told me if you work hard, good things will happen. That's it. Right. It's, you yeah. don't have to think more about it. You don't have, if you work hard, good things will happen. And I always applied that as a student, as an athlete, like when all else fails, when things get complicated, I just come back to that, you know, just, just work yeah. hard and
0: it's universal.
1: And it's universal. Right. And it's, yeah. again, I love the simplicity of it in that just like, Hey, j- just work. Right. And, uh, there's also a piece, another, uh, you asked for one, I'll just say one more. My trainer who I spoke about, he would always say to me, nothing good comes out of being negative, nothing bad comes out of being positive. So I think wow. those two things in combination are very powerful, like work, but remain hopeful, remain positive, right? Because we all get down on yeah. ourselves, we all have doubts and those are normal, but just remember like stay positive, work hard, That that's how good things happen.
0: I love it. And you know what? If you have a third one, we'll take them all. But I'm not going to hold you to it because you've shared so much you with two, us. Man. The, the well
1: has <laughs> run dry. I gave you all I got.
0: No, hey, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your your wisdom and your advice. Uh, I can't wait to pick up a copy of your book, By the Grace of the Game, The Basketball Legacy, not The Baseball Legacy.
1: Oh, that's, that's right.
0: Um, Dan Gronfield. I'm Ryan LaVarnway. This has been Finding the Way. Thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to Finding the
1: Way with Ryan LeVarnway. Find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.